Woi woi, woi woi, woi woi. Then it then go on the radio again. Yo, if you wanna smoke free weed, go board yourself. You need to go plant a seed. Go board yourself, make your knowledge increase. Go board yourself, go board yourself, go board yourself. Hey everybody, welcome to episode number 76 of Grow Bud Yourself. We got a great show for you guys today. Uh, first, Mike and I are going to talk with lawyer Christina Bucola about uh, recent changes in the New York legalization and homegrown news. Our guest is Jesus Barola. He's the CEO of Possible Cultivation in California. We're going to talk about scaling up and sustainability. And we have a cultivation segment featuring lighting and feeding during the flowering stage, as well as answers to listener grow questions. So please stick around for episode 76, brought to you by Organic Rev Growth Stimulant, Sweet Leaf Plant Nutrients, Excelsior Extracts, and Rocket Seeds. Coming at you. Hey guys, I want to tell you about one of our favorite sponsors, Excelsior Extracts. Outcast and TOH from Excelsior are incredible people, incredible growers, and they make an amazing product. Their THC-infused pain rub is made by patients for patients, and it provides powerful relief from pain. This product was developed to treat Outcast's chronic pain, and trust me, this is a super potent topical that really works. You can find out more about Excelsior on Instagram at Excelsior Extracts. That's E-X-C-E-L-S-I-O-R-E-X-T-R-A-C-T-S. DM them there to learn more about their amazing pain rub. And don't forget to tell them that Grow Bud Yourself sent you. Hey, all right, welcome back. And this is episode number 76 of Grow Bud Yourself. Uh, as always, thank you to DJ Jacques and the singer Win Strong. Check them out on uh, all the musicals, uh, Spotify's and TikToks and whatnot. Uh, I know Jacques is on Twitch. He's on Twitch, so you can actually watch him DJ live. Uh, and tell him Grow Bud Yourself sent you because uh, they hooked us up with that tune. And uh, there's some great people in the reggae scene. Um, that I've known for years. Also want to mention our sponsor, uh, Organic Rev, is still offering their free bottle promo, so you can get a four-ounce bottle uh, for free. Uh, you just pay $5 for the shipping and handling, and you can make up to four gallons of an amazingly powerful stimulant. So uh, check them out at organicrev.com slash GBY10, and you can click on the free bottle offer at the top left. Uh, how you doing, Mike? Well, so far, so good. How are you? It feels like it's it's been a little while since we've done this. Right. Well, we, we missed a week. Last week, I was traveling uh, in Alaska, and Mike's uh, computer sort of crapped out on him. <laughs> exploded. But uh, exploded? Mm-hmm. It didn't physically explode. Well, it, it felt stopped like it. working, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a paperweight now. <laughs> oh, no. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, uh, luckily, you were able to uh, make do this week uh and you're and back from alaska for now so that's nice i'm back for now i'm actually yeah. going back next week uh for the uh leaf bowl event in anchorage alaska if anybody's up there listening uh come check us out november 6th saturday it's a free event uh at the convention center downtown anchorage i'll be there i'll have uh books i'll even have some grow bud yourself stickers if you mention the podcast uh, you can get a free sticker 
And yeah, that's the plan. Uh, and we we had got a great show for you guys, but I guess there's been some news here in New York that we could get to. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. New York has been making a lot of noise since our new governor, uh, Kathy Hochul, came on and replaced Andrew Cuomo. And she's appointed uh, people to these regulatory boards, which is important. Just last month, the Department of Labor actually outlawed employers testing workers for THC, the first state in the country to uh, to ban those THC tests by employers. So we, we thought it would be interesting to get our friend and uh, cannabis attorney, Christina Bicola, on the show to talk a little bit about what's going on uh, in New York, specifically around the subject of home grow, which is, of course, you know, near and dear to, to this podcast and to you personally. Yeah, absolutely. And she is a legal expert on uh, on the subject. She goes to Albany. She goes to the meetings. Uh, she knows all the ins and outs of uh, starting a business, getting the licensing, uh, what the regulations mean, what they say, and when they apply, most importantly. So I think without further ado, uh, we should get to that uh, chat with Christina. All right. So welcome back. And uh, we have a special guest for you guys talking about uh, what's been going on with New York Home Grow and patients' rights and uh, social equity. She's been on the show before. It is Christina Bucola, uh, a lawyer here in New York uh, and elsewhere, uh, practicing law, cannabis law. So uh, welcome, Christina. Thanks for having me, Danny. <laughs> it's always fun to be on here. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. And oh. uh, can you please... Uh, illuminate for us what's been going on uh, in New York here, because a lot of people are curious as to, you know, they think it's legal or they think they can grow and, or, you know, there's a lot of confusion, I think, out there as far as uh, where things stand in New York state. So can you, uh, can you elucidate? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, so just to backpedal a little bit back in March of this year, um, New York passed the MRTA, the Marijuana Regulation and Taxation Act, which, among other things, puts uh, a market architecture around cannabis into place um, and, uh, among other things, allows for home grow, which I think uh, we'll, we'll focus on here. So under the MRTA, there are two different time frames for home grow, and that um, rests on whether you're a medical patient or an adult. Um, and so under the act, um, individuals who are medical patients in New York were allowed to start uh, growing once the Office of Cannabis Management had passed regulations um, regarding uh, home grow. And so the office had, was finally filled out uh, just recently um, with the appointments of Chris Alexander as the executive director and uh, Jason Starr as the um, director of equity, equity director. Um, and uh, the Cannabis Control Board, which has five commissioners, has also been rounded out. So that architecture, uh, that, that board um, and the office has been established. Um, and one of the first uh, things that they did at the recent meeting of the Office of Cannabis Management on October 21st was they said, hey, we have some regulations regarding home grow for medical patients. We will now file those, um, and they'll be published in the state register 
And then the public will have 60 days to make comments to them, uh, to the Office of Cannabis Management, based on the regulations that have been uh, set forth. Um, and what's wonderful about this is this is the point at which New Yorkers will really be able to have input around home cultivation. Uh, right now, we do know some of the parameters of home cultivation. Um, again, medical patients will be able to grow first. Uh, adults who are 21 years and older will have to wait 18 months after the first legal sales in New York to commence their growing operations. But back to the medical patients. Medical patients can have up to six plants, being three immature plants and three mature plants in their home. Um, if there's more than one medical patient on site, there can be a total of up to 12 plants, with six being mature and six immature. Caretakers can also grow on behalf of their patients. Again, these won't go into effect until uh, the, these have uh, been um, subject to public commentary, <clears throat> excuse me, and the requisite period has passed. Uh, we also know that there is going to be no sales of home grow as we would have expected. Um, any kind of plants are supposed to be um, outside of the reach of anyone who is 21, who is under 21 years of age. Um, public, uh, the Office of Cannabis Management in this recent meeting confirmed that growing outside will be allowed, provided that it's um, you know not seen from public view. Also, butane, we've learned that butane and other flammable liquids will not be allowed in um, the processing of any kind of home grow. Um, so we have some basic parameters around there. Um, and uh, also, with respect to housing in New York, landlords will be able to create um, rules around cultivation for their um, tenants, but they won't be able to prevent someone from participating in the medical program overall. I just gave you a huge download. Um, I should have broken that up somehow. <laughs> no, it's what great. Part, what part do you want to go back to or do you want to drill down on? Well, the takeaway for me so far is that no one in, right now is allowed to grow in New York. Bingo. No it one is not, is still, it's it, not legally, un, legally, whether they're a medical patient or rec user, no matter what. Um, the other takeaway is the, you know, six plants, 12 plants and all of that. Um, I always say that, you know, the limit is on the amount of plants, but not on the size of the plants. So you can actually grow, you know, th three big plants in a tent uh, and yield enough never to never have to buy cannabis for yourself uh, again. And with 12, uh, that's even more so. Um, I think also the other takeaway is that we're going to have a chance to have input on how this goes. And what would be, you know, your recommendation for people as far as, uh, you know, how they approach giving that input during well, that, during that, uh, is it 60 day period? Yes. It's a 60 day period once mm -hmm. it's posted. Um, uh, I, there's, it seems to be a lot of transparency at the office of cannabis management, which is a wonderful thing. And so, um, the best place to look for updates around, um, the publication of these regulations and the ability to comment is actually on the Office of Cannabis Management website, and they'll provide continual updates as long as 
as well as instructions on how to comment, right? And this is where it's really important that all the home growers who know how to do this and have been doing home grow actually provide their input. I cannot underscore that immediately because there are going to be, first of all, um, industry professionals. And when I say industry, I mean the existing registered organizations who were um, part of uh, the initial medical program here in New York, of course, you know, they were not pro home grow. And in some instances, there were documentation, there was documentation released to that end, right? And so we know that there's going to be a lot of input on home grow, and we want to make it as expansive and um, permissive as possible. So as many people can benefit this without being dependent on medical registered organizations and be able to grow really their their own medicine. Because as we know, everybody has an individual endocannabinoid system. So even if you are going to, even when we do have adult use and there might be a wide variety of product available to people, that doesn't necessarily foot with what they need and what their needs are. Um, mm -hmm. And home grow is a way around that. Yeah, I think it's important also for people to emphasize the safety of home grow. I think a lot of the fear is uh, fires and electrical malfunctions and things like that, um, which, you know, is pretty rare in the home grow type situation. I mean, if you're growing in a tent under an LED light, you're not really um, risking a lot as far as uh, electrical uh, consumption or even, you know, over overloading your your electrical. And I think there's a lot of fear uh, from the general public that they're living in an apartment building that might burn down. I think that's an important reason why the butane uh, and liquid, you know, gas and stuff, uh, anything with a flash point below 100 degrees Fahrenheit was disallowed. And I'm all for that because I don't yeah. think that, you know, I think that should be left to the chemists and the people, you know, any kind of butane extraction, any any hydrocarbon extraction of that kind uh, should be should not be done in the home <laughs> at all, uh, and so or by amateurs. Uh, so you know the the days of open blasting and all of that the, the, that's done, and um, and that's a good thing. You know that's that's the equivalent of bathtub gin or something where you know <laughs> these completely unregulated sort of thing is happening. So. I think, you know, the emphasis should be on, you know, safety, security, odor control, uh, and patients' needs, what yep. people actually, you know, uh, will need. Because, uh, you know, not disallowing uh, butane doesn't mean you can't use, uh, you know, butter or oil and make yourself edibles or tinctures of that kind. So, and there's a, a lot of different ways to make uh, concentrates that don't involve uh, volatile liquids and gases. Uh, so I think that's an important thing to emphasize. And I think, uh, you know, just the fact that, you know, the caregivers have to be 21 years of, of age and, uh, you know, the people are responsible cannabis users and producers. And, you know, a lot of people that are patients need this medicine and, uh, and want to be able to provide it for themselves at pennies to the dollar compared to what they're going to spend. And I think some of these MSOs are coming around to the fact that maybe they can sell people some grow equipment or some clones, and maybe those people will try strains at their dispensary and then want to grow them at home and then give up after one or two tries and come right back. So 
uh, they are catching on. I, I hope they are because the fact that they would be against home grow and claiming that it's, um, you know, tainted or dangerous or something, uh, really just gives them that monopoly on something that anyone can do. I mean, people are allowed to brew beer in their homes, uh, maybe not have a, a whiskey still. And that's for the same reason that you don't have, you know, the butane, but, uh, but brewing beer is not a dangerous act and it really doesn't really cut into the brew beer producers profits. Uh, and the smart ones sell you the kits to do it because they know most people will eventually probably give up on it anyway and come right back. But uh, it does sound like there's making progress that the new governor is, is more interested in implementing this than perhaps the old governor was. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, she has a limited uh, runway to, to prove herself and prove that she's really interested in the economic development of New York and the interests of equity. And this was, this was an, an, an easy thing for her to support and to move along. And so I do applaud her for that. And it makes sense um, yeah. from a strategic point as well. There is one thing I do want to point out um, because in, you know, in your travels and in uh, everyone's understanding of or, or as they learn more information about New York legalization, they may hear the words opt out. And I want to just talk about what opt out is. Um, opt out is the ability for certain municipalities to be NIMBYs, right? And say, I don't want certain types of licenses in my backyard. And I want to be very specific about those licenses. The only thing, the only licenses that municipalities can say, I don't want you here. They are the, the consumer facing um, ones of social consumption and of retail. Um, municipalities similarly are not allowed to opt out of the program. You're still allowed to consume anywhere else you would be allowed to consume under state law. They can, they can uh, create certain time, place, uh, and manner restrictions about it, but they can't opt out of the legislation entirely, including they can't opt out of home grow. They can, you know, reasonably, reasonably set some parameters around home grow, provided it doesn't make it impossible to home grow. So I also wanted to point that out to people. So to clarify, they're not op opting out of cannabis being legal in they their can't. area. They're only opting out of them being able to make money from it. And Correct. they're basically sending the people in their uh, city or municipality to another place to spend their money and then come back and consume <laughs> at home, More which less. really seems crazy. Municipalities in New York have until the, the end of the year, December 31st, to decide to opt out, right? Yeah, but we've already seen a lot of places um, out on the east end of Long Island and Westchester deciding to opt out. Uh, one other thing I wanted to mention is that uh, the medical cannabis program is now going to allow whole flower. Correct. Uh, which I think for, for now, for people listening that don't know, uh, we, we, they've, so far they've only had ground flower. Uh, and that's only a recent development uh, that I know of as well. And that's to discourage people from, from, you know, smoking in a, in a paper or a blunt or, or, a, um, a pipe and encourage them to vape instead, but it's ground and it could be sitting around ground for so long that it really loses a lot of the, uh, terpenes and the, and the, and the potency level, uh, and doesn't have what it takes for a patient to, uh, you know, treat themselves with. Uh, so I do think that's very important as well that people understand that soon they'll be able to go to a dispensary and if they're medical patients and purchase whole flower, uh, 
so that's a step in the right direction. There are a ton of medical patients who will tell you they would buy the ground stuff and roll joints out of it. So, you know, we also have to remember that vaping, you know, is a wonderful way to consume. Um, but some people do prefer smoking and flour, like you said, it deteriorates when it's broken up. And so if you are actually using that to make your own tinctures and your own oils and your own edibles, uh, that kind of defeats the purpose. So yes, absolutely. This is a huge move in the right direction. Awesome. Well, uh, Christina Bucola, uh, lawyer in the cannabis space, uh, if you want to contact her uh, about any legal questions, it's hi at CB Council, H-I, not H-I-G-H, although I should probably add that. Hi <laughs> at C-B-C-O-U-N-S-E-L. Dot com. Dot com. Thank you. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Christina, for the update. And uh, we'll ho- we're hoping to have you on the show sometime in the near future with even more good news. Always. Thanks for having me, guys. All right. Thank you to Christina Bucola. And uh, please contact her if you're interested in uh, starting a business in New York. She's She knows all the ins and outs. She absolutely does. So get in touch with her. But uh, in addition to Christina and our amazing cultivation segment, we have a really interesting interview coming up. Yes, indeed. Uh, Jesus Barola, he's the CEO of Possible. Uh, that's P-O-S-I-B-L. It's a cultivation facility in California uh, that particularly interested me because uh, it's all greenhouse and they're very much interested in uh, being sustainable, uh, reusing uh, water, reusing product, using as little electric as possible, and uh, therefore spending less to make more. And I think uh, it's really the future of large-scale cultivation. And I think, um, you know, he can he can definitely enlighten us more as to how that uh, how that all goes down on a huge scale because uh, it really is massive. So I'd say without further ado, let's uh, let's take a break and come back with Jesus Barola. If you're ready to start your own home grow, you're going to need some seeds. Fortunately, our sponsor Rocket Seeds has you covered. You can find seeds for hundreds of high-quality cannabis varieties at rocketseeds.com, including many of our strains of the Fortnite. Rocket Seeds boasts an incredible inventory of quality-tested cannabis seeds. Whether you're looking for feminized, autoflowering, regular, CBD, or fast version seeds, Rocket Seeds has it all. Plus, Rocket Seeds ships internationally and discreetly and provides excellent customer service. And as a special promotion just for our listeners, you can use the code GBY10 to get 10% off your order at Rocket Seeds. So follow at Rocket Seeds on Instagram. Remember to tell them Danny sent you. And check out rocketseeds.com today and get growing. Hey, all right, welcome back. And uh, we have a special guest for you guys this week. His name is Jesus Barola, and he is the CEO of Possible. Uh, that is spelled P-O-S-I-B-L. It is a cannabis farm in Salinas, California. Jesus, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Yeah, it's our pleasure. Tell me a little bit about the scale at which you you are growing cannabis right now. 
Yeah, so we have a 12-acre property that we're currently developing. So we, we bought this uh, property with, uh, with the vision of creating the farm of the future. Uh, so with, with that all, what that entailed was, was building that project, which we knew uh, designing and getting that approval uh, through the county was going to take over a year. So we said, how do we get going on this 12-acre property right away? We decided to retrofit 100,000 square feet. Of greenhouses which is what we grow in today and then we are in the process of building out another 160,000 square foot of canopy right now <laughs> that sounds uh, pretty pretty large um, now how can you be uh, you know growing craft cannabis at that uh, type of scale uh, and keeping it sustainable as well yeah uh, so I think the sustainability portion really uh, really translate for the methodology, which is greenhouse setting, right? You've got outdoor grows, you've got, uh, which produce great cannabis, uh, but you've get one or maybe two cycles a year. And it's really hard to maintain your quality when you're beholden to natural elements. So you really can't put the ideal conditions at all times. So you'll have good crops, you'll have bad crops. And that, I mean, it's hard to grow outdoor. So I got, got to tip my hat to those growers outdoor dealing with all those elements. Then you got indoor, which is you can grow very, very good cannabis, but because um, you can control all the, all the, all the environment, temperature, humidity, sunlight, etc. But then what that does is you're recreating a kind of artificial environment, if you will, which is very, very energy consuming. So you're not taking any of the natural elements and you're basically creating them all artificially, which take a lot of energy. And so then you've got greenhouse, which is a combination of both. You're taking natural sunlight, you're taking a natural, you know, really in California here, ideal growing conditions, and then just supplementing what you need to control it and keep it within that range. So you're utilizing a lot less energy to do that, which is ultimately a lot better for the environment. It allows you to have a much better cost curve to do that. And you still can maintain year-round production like an indoor grower does and ideal quality you know if you have the right technology to be able to to really manipulate the environment in, in that way in a greenhouse setting so so that really the sustainability portion of that is very important for us so uh i know that in california and particularly a lot of western states uh you know water use is a really big issue uh how are you able to use climate control uh to use less water in, in, in your facility? So we, we are actually investing water recirculation systems. So the same water that we're irrigating, all the, all the leaching or everything that comes out of that uh, out as excess irrigation, it all gets reused. We also uh, have water conservation. So all the rainwater, we, we're actually building a pond to be able to reuse all natural uh, rainwater as well and feed that into the plant. So the goal here is to build uh, as sustainable of a cultivation facility as possible. So you're able to use less water and also uh, less electricity than a typical indoor grow, uh, a lot less of the power because you're using a, lo a lot of that free sunshine that you have uh, because you're in the, the sort of the fertile area of California where a lot of our food is, has traditionally been produced. Yeah, correct. I mean, they call Salinas the salad bowl of the world. Uh, that's one of the uh, reasons why we chose to to grow here. Every large ag company, whether it be Dole, Driscoll's, 
Taylor Farms or all those uh, traditional behemoth uh, agricultural companies or, or have an office in Salinas and there's a reason why. <laughs> yeah. And, and has there been some of that uh, traditional greenhouse technology that you've been able to employ uh, with cannabis that, uh, that maybe was an innovation that came from the tomato side of things? <laughs> or absolutely. Absolutely. All of it, all of it. So you have like, for example, our director of cultivation, a uh, wonderful gentleman by the name of Pepe Calderon. Uh, he has worked in pretty much all the large tomato uh, projects in the United States. He worked for Winset Farms. He would, uh, he worked for Nature Suite. He was most recently at a company called App Harvest. Um, which was looking at the latest technology in agriculture to kind of bring the food supply chain back into the United States. Uh, and like I said, our, our founder comes from traditional ag in a greenhouse setting. So it really was about applying that expertise into cannabis. Excellent. Well, how do you, uh, how do you remain pesticide free uh, in such a large facility as well? That was a, that's a question I'm interested to find out. Yeah, and, and I think what people uh, may not know is how clean cannabis is. So in traditional food, you test for things like heavy metals in, in quantities of parts per million. Every, you know, every gram of cannabis sold in California in the legal market goes through a COA, which is actually testing parts per billion. Um, and we don't have the ability to use traditional pesticides that ag does because there's been a lack of research into the effects of what those pesticides would be once ignited per se. Um, and you don't have the ability to wash. Let's just say you buy a tomato today, you take it home, you wash it before you eat it, you rinse off the pesticides. Cannabis, you don't really have the ability to do that uh, since you're going to, you know, you're going to smoke it. So we don't have the ability to use pesticides. So everything that we use is pretty much natural oil. So whether it be sunflower oil um, or, th or mint oil, that's what we use to combat pests and diseases. Not only that, but, but biological controls. So you're fighting nature with nature. If you've got a certain type of aphid or trip, you're trying to find out what is the wasp that eats that aphid or what is the worm that eats that trip, etc. So... It's always interesting going through the greenhouse and seeing all these different plants. And people say, I thought you were just grew cannabis. What are you doing with flash peppers in, in your greenhouses? And those flash pepper plants are actually banker plants for beneficial in, insects that are help us stay pest free. Yeah. And you're also able to pr uh, produce cannabis year round. Are you using uh, light deprivation techniques or light supplementation uh, in order to do that? We're using both. We're using both. So uh, both light deprivation and light uh, and supplemental light. So we were averaging, you know, close to six cycles per year. So that's one of the advantages. And, and that's, you know, as you talk about indoor versus outdoor, that's one of the things. It's hard to build a power a year round brand with an outdoor product that, you know, you're really only going to get once a year. And then it's hard to go all the way to indoor because one, it's a price point that's much higher for the average consumer and then two much less sustainable methods so we really see that the future of cannabis is through a greenhouse setting because it combines the best of both worlds and it gives you you know uh, a very high-end product year-round 
uh, with consistent quality at a much more affordable price point. And that, that, that really is the vision behind possible. Yeah. And it sounds like you have plants uh, in different areas uh, at all different schedules so that you're harvesting. Uh, I mean, I read up to a hundred over a hundred harvests per year uh, from your space. Um, that's just, that just sounds like <laughs> so much work, but uh, tell me a little bit about uh, your partners uh, that you work with and the team that you have uh, there at Possible to, to make all that happen. Yeah, so the team is really built on what our core strength is, which is ag. Um, you know, that that is the differentiator of our business. We're, we're not one that is looking to uh, be vertically integrator and, and master seven different businesses within a business. That's hard to do, and that requires a lot of capital. We know what we're good at, which is growing and co-packaging product. So, We've hired a group of experts that, you know, Pepe, who I mentioned earlier uh, in one of the in the conversation, and then Hector Salazar, who's our COO, uh, who actually came from a company called Ganfer. You know, maybe a lot of people haven't heard about it here in the States, but people are probably more familiar with a company called Nature Sweet. They sell like one out of every three tomatoes sold in the United States. Well, Hector ran basically production and planning with that company to manage six sites throughout all of Mexico that supplied the majority of their tomatoes for Nature Suite. So uh, the complexity of managing six sites in hundreds of acres and now bringing that expertise into cannabis is something that, you know, really separates us from other grower and co-packagers that, you know, we're able to sit down with a brand and lay out what, you know, what we're going to have over the next six months uh, with a pretty accurate forecast. And, and not only that, but go ahead and plan with the brand of, okay, let's make sure we have your Indica Sativa and hybrid picked out for the next six months, how much pounds. And, and really it's about integrating the entire supply chain. So, so that goes um, for our team. And, and then as far as our partners, uh, we work with about 15 of the largest brands in California in all sides of the equation. So, uh, we work with value brands like Old Pal, Union Electric, uh, to high-end brands like SF Roots or Smarty Plants, um, uh, Pine Park. So uh, we do everything, uh, finished flower and pre-rolls. Today we don't have extraction processes, but uh, a year from now we will. So with that new construction. That's awesome. And the idea uh, is that you know, let's just say if we were vertically integrated and we'd say, you know, let's just say we're, we want to target high end flower brand and we were like a connected, then you still got all these bees, you still got all this trim. And so you create a lot of byproducts in cannabis. So the way we really try to stay efficient is we have customers that take every byproduct of the plant. So, you know, uh, really we're able to maximize our costs and ma maximize the product that we grow. So if somebody wanted to start a cannabis brand in California, uh, and, but they didn't necessarily know where to begin, uh, you know, take me through that, that process step-by-step step of, of what you're able to provide, um, you know, someone who's just interested in, in, in creating a brand. Yeah. So we, so at possible, really that's what our goal is, is to be an empower of brands. And, and we feel like we're consolidating the first three steps for a brand, which is, I think first you would ask yourself, well, what kind of licensing do they need? And I think a lot of brands, you know, Opal is a, is a great example of somebody that really 
uh, uh, leaned into this model of a asset light brand. Um, you know, they, they don't have a license. We, they actually operate under our license and the distributor's license. So by partnering with a licensed distributor and a licensed grower and co-packager, they don't have to go through the process of getting a license and, and, and necessarily touching the plant directly. And then two, you're, you got to figure out what's my menu look like? What are the strains that I want to grow? Do I want to be super boutique and have exclusive strains or do I just want to, um, you know, or, or not? And so we help plan with the brand what those strains are going to be that they're going to need and, and basically put them in our production catalog to be able to produce them year round for them. So we're covering licensing, we're covering genetics. And the next step is, you know, product. So obviously as a grower, we have everything that we've grown for them. And then we co-package for them in-house. So traditionally people have looked for a grower and then they got to go and find a source to package. And then when there's issues and people are going pointing the finger back and forth and the co-packager is saying, ah, the product product was, you know, wasn't what you bought or the, or the grower is saying, oh, there's issues, but it actually was your co-packager. Everything is done in-house under one streamlined supply chain. So there's no waiting for the co-packager to get ready. The day it's ready after the drying room, we start to trim it, we start to package it. So, uh, and then if there's ever an issue on QC, like there's one person to call. We're the, we're the folks that told you where it would test from a THC standpoint, what that flower would look like, what quantity we were going to package for you and whatever issues arise, you're, you're, you're not there dealing with whatever shrinkage you experience from, you know, buying in the bulk market. So it just uh, creates a lot of the headaches. So what we're trying to cover is everything on the upstream part of the supply chain. And really what a brand has to focus on is, uh, you know, how do I get this, you know, what does my sales team look like? How do I build the brand? And, you know, that's their strong put, uh, you know, what the brands are good at. Yeah, you mentioned uh, exclusive strains. Uh, tell me about your relationships with uh, different uh, cannabis breeders and any uh, special projects in the works that uh, to preserve some of the rare genetics uh, that's out there. Yeah, we have two very exciting projects. So one is Sativa Preservation Society, which we've partnered with uh, one of our partners, uh, Space Coyote, on a launch. And, and really that project is designed now, you know, in growing land race stray sativas are much longer flowering time. So you have sativas that are 12 to 14 weeks. So as a grower, you know, you're looking for eight week strains. That's how you maximize your production. So to grow a 12 or 14 week, you're saying I'm jeopardizing 50% of my production. So, you know, since the consumer doesn't, hasn't really been educated on that, everybody's transitioned to these eight week strains. But what that has done is all these, you know, heirloom strains, land races are kind of disappearing. Uh, but then the high that they produce is fantastic. And there's a educated consumer base that really misses those strains. So what we said is, you know, let's do a project. Let's bring the sativas back. But, uh, you know, we went after three legacy hazes. So A5, C5, and the Cuban black haze. And, uh, and really, we're, we're super proud of what we did. We've, you know, hunted over 2,000 plants uh, to come up with those three, um, those three mother, mother stock. And then uh, it's now just hitting the market under Sativa Preservation Society. And, and it's, uh, it's comforting to know it's doing extremely well. So that's a project that required a lot of education for the consumer. It's, 
it's not your traditional super gassy purple tight nug. I mean, it is, it is uh, H and strains, but uh, that high is unlike every anything else that I've experienced. Um, the, the second project, uh, would be a collaboration that we're doing with, uh, mean gene from freeborn selection. So, so most, uh, there are, there's a tremendous amount of incredible strains, uh, that, that because of lack of size, like a scales, you know, people have an experience. So, so Gene's got a root beer strain, a Coca-Cola strain that, most folks have never gotten to to try. And, and traditionally for a breeder, how did they monetize their IP? They had to do it through seeds. But, you know, they might have worked on developing that strain for four or five years. The minute the seeds are out, the IP is gone, right? You can easily grow it, clone it, and then it's out in the street. So how do you monetize that IP that you've worked on so hard without uh, having it completely, you know, overrun the market in a very short time? So what we've tried to develop is as an empowerer brands partnering with these breeders to say, you know, you can still control your IP. Ultimately uh, it's the flower folks are un- after. So you can bring these genetics here. They'll be in a safe spot. We'll grow that flower for you. We'll help you put it into market and, uh, and you'll still have control of your IP. So we're, we're very, very proud of that project as well. Absolutely. Um, now you mentioned hand trimming as as part of the uh, ways that you uh, ensure high quality. Um, is there anything else that that happens along the way? I mean, uh, you have the, the great genetics, um, you have the the processing, but is there anything else that happens during the grow cycle um, that you think helps to achieve uh, craft quality on a large scale? I mean, it, it's hard to it's hard to talk about it without sounding corny, but I know the love that our grower has for the plant, right? So, I mean, I walk in there and he's playing music that he says, no, the plants like this type of music in the morning and the plants like this type of music in the afternoon. So if that's not love and if love's not craft, then I don't know what is. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, now, I know possible uh, you, you guys uh, refer to as, to it as the cannabis farm of the future. And I've been saying for years that, you know, uh, large scale growing is going to happen in greenhouses and not big warehouses because of many of the things you mentioned, the cost of production, uh, all of the equipment that needs to be used, the, the uh, climate control, the lighting, the, the cooling. Um, there's just so much that goes into that. And uh, I think, you know, th- with the greenhouse, you get the best of both worlds. You get the free sunshine uh, when it's when it's there, uh, and you can control the environment so you don't have the issues with uh, wind or rain or dust and things that you have uh, with outdoor. Um, and you guys, it, it, it sounds like you're really trying to grow in a really ethical uh, and sustainable way, and especially the the you know lack of pesticides really important uh, as well. So, is there anything else that makes you guys? Uh, energy efficient or more energy efficient than an indoor grow? Absolutely. So our new project has a, a actual a gas cogeneration plant built into it. So uh, that is also part of the design of being very sustainable. So one, the cost of gas is much lower than the cost of electricity. So there are some efficiencies there, but by building that plant, you burn natural gas. When you burn natural gas, you produce CO2. Well, 
plants need CO2 for photo, photosynthesis. So by reintroducing the CO2 that you are uh, producing by burning natural gas and feeding it to the plant, the plant's converting that back into oxygen. So uh, that is one, not, not just extremely cost efficient from a cost of electricity, but two, much more sustainable. Then the other byproduct is heat. So that same heat is being is the main way where we are heating uh, that greenhouse. And then there's also a chiller component that goes in and helps cool. So we're actually using natural gas to do most of the things that we need to do from an environmental standpoint, whether it be implementation of CO2, heating, cooling, uh, and, and then supplemental light all through a much more sustainable way. That's great. Another trial that we're running right now is we have a partnership with a company called Adaviv. So they are looking at ways to do pest scouting uh, through the use of AI technology and cameras. So that is something that we're also incorporating into our new project. We're actually running uh, trials on that technology right now in our greenhouses. So the idea is that you can catch pests and diseases much quicker than, 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 the, than you and I can through AI and uh, also through a reduced labor rate, uh, less people intensive. Awesome. Um, Jesus Barola is the CEO of Possible, a fully licensed uh, cultivation, production, and distribution facility in California. Uh, I want to thank you for being on the show. And also, uh, can you let people know where they can find out more information about uh, Possible online and, and otherwise? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, you can find us online. Our website's possibleproject.com, spelled P-O-S-I-B-L. Uh, same thing on Instagram. So uh, possible project, uh, ha hashtag possible project. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, uh, Jesus, for coming on the show. Uh, keep up the great work. I love to see cannabis being grown sustainably uh, on a large scale because I think like uh, I think you and I both know that that's the future, uh, not just for the quality of the product, but uh, for our carbon footprint as producers. So I uh, really appreciate that. And uh, thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much. Pleasure being on. All right on. We will be back with more Grow Bud Yourself after these messages. If you're a grower or you're thinking about starting your first crop, then you need to know about Sweet Leaf Plant Nutrients. Sweet Leaf has an incredible line of organic fertilizers and, of course, their legacy line that includes organic and some synthetic fertilizers. Check them out at sweetleaf.com. That's S-U-I-T-E-L-E-A-F.com. The code DANKO15 gets you 15% off everything at Sweetleaf. That's 15% off their signature line of nutrients as well as essentials like complete indoor hydroponic grow tent kits and grow lights, plus awesome apparel, backpacks, and much more. If you join our Patreon, you'll get access to additional codes worth 20 and even 25% off. Patreon supporters also receive free Sweetleaf nutrients just for signing up. Sweetleaf provides all the tools necessary for the modern gardener. Check them out at sweetleaf.com and remember the code DANKO15. Hey, all right. Welcome back and thank you to Jesus Barrero for the uh, great interview there. Very enlightening. 
And uh, we are now in the cultivation section, I believe. Uh, I want to mention that our advertiser, uh, Sweetleaf Nutrients, are still running the, their promotion um, for a free 32-ounce bottle of their newest organic liquid fertilizer product. It's called Crazy K005, uh, crazy with a K, by the way, uh, because that K stands for potassium. Yeah, p- potassium, yeah. <laughs> I knew it. And the K is for potassium in the NPK, uh, which is the thing you need uh, in late-stage flowering. So uh, it's a nice booster that you use at the end. You can use it with hydro or with soilless mix. Uh, and you can get a free bottle if you join our Patreon as a Big Bud or a Heady Chief level supporter. Uh, you get a bunch of other stuff with that as well, including merch from Sweetleaf. But right now you can get that free 32-ounce quart bottle of uh, Crazy K005, and all renewing Big Buds or Heady Chief members uh, can also receive that bottle. Just uh, hit us up in the messages on Patreon, and I'll make sure you get one. Um, so thank you to Sweetleaf for that, and hope you guys uh, take advantage. Thank you to Sweetleaf. Everyone should definitely check that out. But now, uh, our listeners know that each week, Dan likes to give a little tip that's going to help you become a better grower. So what do you want to talk about this week? Yes, so I want to talk about uh, lighting, feeding, and watering in general for flowering plants. Uh, A lot of people have a lot of confusion, but uh, it is important to do this properly. The most important thing is that those plants receive 12 hours on and 12 hours off of the lighting. So whether you're using LEDs, fluorescents, HIDs, um, whatever you do, you need to mimic the fall and the shorter season Uh, in order to change the setting on your light timer uh, from 18 hours on or 20 hours on to 12 hours on. And you need, and I would invest in a reliable timer because uh, the cheap little ones that that are out there are just not good enough uh, for this kind of system. Uh, And there's timers that you can get that are really good digital ones. uh, And I would definitely invest in that because any uh, interruption of that dark cycle is going to cause you all kinds of problems with your plants. Uh, worst case being like stress-induced hermaphrodism uh, or worse, really. So uh, you definitely don't want to interrupt that dark cycle. In an emergency, you can use a special light uh, with a green bulb that won't register as light to the plant because it won't take in green light. Uh, but I don't really recommend that uh, unless you really absolutely have to see the plants. Uh, remember, in 12 hours or less, um, your lights will be on. So unless it's an emergency, I wouldn't recommend it. Um, basically, what happens is after you switch to 12-12, the plant will take a little while to transition into flowering. So it's going to shift from producing uh, upward and outward growth uh, and begin to start forming the flowers. But it's going to continue. Um, the transition is gradual, so it's going to continue to stretch Um and look like it's still in the veg veg stage for like a week, maybe two weeks, even longer for some long flowering sativas. Uh, but basically the plant is in the flowering stage at that point. Um, and typically plants flower between 45 to 65 days or so. Um, but of course there are sativas that will go even longer than that. I like HPS lights for flowering. You can also use uh, ceramic metal halides. Those are great. Um, LEDs are really amazing too these days. Uh, you just have to put out uh, the cost uh, to put them out, but you get the benefit of low heat 
and low electrical costs. So um, LEDs are great. It really also depends on uh, the size of your grow. Uh, so remember that lights should also, depending on uh, wattage, should be uh, pretty, you know, between a foot and two feet away from your plant tops. You can put fluorescence and uh, LEDs closer, um, and you can lower or raise those lights uh, as the plants grow to avoid either making the plants stretch or having the plant tops uh, it, reaching the light and burning uh, the plant tops. So that's lighting uh, for flowering plants. Now feeding, uh, the first two weeks we mentioned that's the transitional period. Uh, it's often referred to as the stretching period as well. Uh, it could be a week, it could be two, it could be three, uh, but basically the plant continues to grow in a vegging style and you'll start seeing the first flowers forming. During that time, I would just feed uh, with uh, a balanced nutrient solution, NPK-wise, you know, just you can stick with uh, a mild version of what you were doing for veg. But after about the two weeks uh, and that you see flowers forming, uh, your nutrient requirements increase at that point. Uh, I call this like the, the, the real booster stage between two weeks and about six weeks or so for most strains. That's really uh, when you can kind of bump up the newts, bump up the, uh, the additives that you use. Um, a lot of people obviously will talk about CalMag. This is a time when um, you'll see deficiencies of calcium and magnesium. You can definitely use CalMag uh, and other organic bloom boosters. I love bat guano. There's lots of different things that you can use. Uh, but as I always say, you want to avoid overfeeding. So if you see any kind of burnt leaf tips, um, you just need to dial back on the nutrient. Uh, you might need to flush the plants out if it's really bad and severe and continues on. Um, you want to check the runoff water for fluctuations in parts per million uh, and pH. So uh, it is important to make sure you're within the right uh, parameters when it comes to nutrients and pH. You certainly don't want to, uh, to water with ice cold water or really, really warm water. Uh, I would just stick with basically like room temperature or slightly warmer than room temperature, um, 70 degrees or so is fine. Um, you can adjust obviously by flushing overfed plants, uh, and buffering the pH. Uh, you don't want to foliar feed during the flowering stage. We talked about, uh, feeding vegging plants and you can foliar feed them. Once flowers start to form, I don't uh, recommend foliar feeding. Uh, you also want to make sure that the branches don't bend or, uh, sag or, uh, even worse break. Um, so using a trellis is always good. Um, screen of green is, a, is an interesting system to use here because you'll definitely get bigger yields if you expand your canopy. Um, branches that are too far from the light are just not going to fill out. So uh, this is also a good time to remove lower branches as you see them start to form and you can tell they're not going to really be able to compete with your tops. Um, you can remove some of those lower branches and then you'll have a less dense canopy below and that can help uh, with airflow and, and reducing things like powdery mildew. Then um, as your flowering period begins to come to an end, uh, the bud production starts to slow down six weeks or so uh, after the flowering has begun, depending on the strain. So if you're looking at an, a 60 day strain, this would be about you know five and a half, six weeks in. If you're looking at a um, you know 75 day strain, this would be maybe seven weeks in. But either way, um, as you determine 
that you're sort of in that last final stretch of the last couple of weeks, that's when you want to start the flushing process and just use plain water. Um, you're going to see the leaves fade in color. They're going to go from bright green um, to a, a lighter green and sometimes yellow, red, uh, you know, all different kinds of fall colors. Um, and that's when you really just want to use plain water. Uh, you'll get a nice cleaner burning white ash and uh, you'll just have less of the built up minerals in your, your flower. So it's really important. And once you've determined that, uh, you know, you're, you're ready to harvest, you just uh, start the harvesting process at that point. But you certainly don't want to get to the harvesting process and not have flushed your plants. And this goes for organic plants or, uh, you know, plants that are fed with chemical nutrients. Either way, uh, you want to flush at the end. And if you've underfed all along the way, the flush could be just a week long. Um, if you feed pretty heavily, you want to get at least a two-week flush, uh, and it just requires plain water at that point. So I hope that helps you with lighting and flowering uh, and watering during that flowering stage. And, uh, you know, like I said, it's an important part of the process, and uh, one of the most important is that two to six weeks or so uh, of flowering is really where you build uh, buds and um you know, more than anything, I will emphasize that if you do see the burnt leaf tips, dial back on the newts. All right. Good advice and excellent grow tip from Mr. Danko. And now we have reached the time in the show where we answer some questions from our listeners. And if you have a question that you would like answered on the show, get in touch with us. Uh, you could email us. That is info at growbudyourself.com. Uh, what do you say we jump in here? Let's do it. Okay, so let's start things off with Sam, and Sam writes, Hey guys, hands down, one of the best podcasts out there. I can't thank you enough for all you guys do. I was wondering if you could help me out with uh, sexing a plant. Hmm, interesting. <laughs> That's pretty intimate. <laughs> yeah. Um, Sam writes, I started out growing a plant to the sixth node, top it at the third node, clone it, and once I start to see new growth, I flip it to 12-12 until sex shows about 90 days later. I'm trying to figure out how to shave some of those days off. I've heard Dan mention that you could grow them out in 12-12, but then when they start to show sex, move them to 18-6. But can you do that without stressing the plants? Uh, thanks for everything. So yeah, what would you say here to Sam? Yeah, um, I'm a little bit confused uh, because I'm not sure if you're if you're putting the clone into twelve twelve or the uh, plant, but I'm assuming it's the plant, uh, and then you you get to see where uh, whether it's male or female, and act accordingly. But uh, if you're trying to shave off days, you said uh, you can grow them out in twelve twelve, and then when they start to sex, move them to eighteen six. That is reversing uh, from. The flowering stage to the veg stage and it does sometimes stress the plants out for sure but it can be done so if you do need to do it that way you can but i'm assuming what you're doing is you're growing the plant out you're taking the clone for growing out later and uh and flipping the cycle on the original plant that you took the clone from it should not take 90 days to show whether it's male or female after you do that flip you really should know within a couple of weeks um, so I'm not sure uh, why that's taking so long, 
but I'm sure you can shave some of the days off just by flipping it to 12-12 a little bit sooner uh, and taking the clone. But uh, as far as, you know, reversing, you can it can be done. Uh, it's it, it really depends how far the plant is into flowering. If it's formed flowers and you're trying to reverse it, uh, it can get really confusing and you can start seeing shoots coming out of the middle of a flower. Um, or if you do it earlier when the plant is just gone into 12-12 for like the first week or two, uh, it's a lot easier in that case because it has not formed flowers yet. So I hope that helps you out and uh, keep on growing, Sam. All right, indeed. Thank you, Sam. Uh, let's move to Angel, who writes, Howdy, guys. Uh, what's up with those seeds I keep finding in my weed? I've found a few seeds in bags of good, otherwise seedless weed. I've pulled up to four seeds out of an ounce of weed. Are those seeds viable? Uh, keep up the good work. What do you got for Angel? Yeah, so um, this happens, you know, s somewhat often where um, you'll find a few stray seeds in some, some otherwise seedless weed. Uh, the issue with that is uh, you, you don't really know what's in what those seeds are. I mean, that could be random pollen uh, that made it to a, a bag of good bud uh, or plants that were growing. Um, as far as viability, I mean, if they're nice, solid brown uh, seeds and not like white preemies, they should be viable. Um, but are they great to grow? Um, chances are they're not. But at the same time, um, you know, Chemdog started with, out with bag seeds. So um, there is those one in a million chances that you get something really amazing and but you're kind of at the mercy of genetics at that point and it's unknown genetics because you really don't know uh you know the the bag that you have might be a uh, great bud but the pollen that that uh, made those seeds might be ditchweed and so therefore you're going to get half great bud half ditchweed and so um you know that's the 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 gamble that you're taking when you're growing out bag seed um plenty of great strains have come out of bag seed uh but plenty of not great strains have come out too and i'd say far more uh you know bunk bunk uh cannabis comes out of bag seeds than the once in a you know lifetime miracle that you get uh when you find something like a chem dog you might be the next chem dog so uh there you go angel yeah, we hope that helps. there's nothing wrong with popping the seeds and seeing what happens i mean yeah you know grow that's how new things are discovered so just uh, don't, you know, assume that they're going to be great. But exactly. if you got the time, yeah, why not? See what you get. Uh, okay, so that was Angel. Let's go to Ira, who writes, Hey guys, I started to grow in June with Sweet Tooth Feminized from Rocket Seeds. Shout out to our sponsor, Rocket Seeds. Uh, the grow started indoors, was transplanted outdoors, and four of the five seeds became plants. I made sure to only water with rainwater. I tested the pH once in the beginning when they were seedlings. I fed them proper newts, and I used fertilizer according to instructions. All seemed to be going well. I made it to the flowering stage with daily care and attention. I built a hoop-style house for covering at night to avoid light leaks. Uh, but now, to fast forward to two weeks ago, the whole plant was smelling very nice and bright, and uh, they stood at least six feet tall, a bumper crop. I looked at the trichomes as best I could with a magnifier. They looked clear but slightly hazy, so time to harvest. Then once I started cutting them down to harvest, I saw seeds, a good amount in the buds, and more and more. Now I'm attempting to dry and cure them, but they may not be smokable. 
Uh, some have hints of hay smell and not the scent and dynamic odor I would be looking for. Uh, still, resin is present. One question I have is how to move forward. And the only thing I can assume is that it had to be stressed uh, and or light leaks and it's self-pollinated or something. So I wanted to have some kind of end product and now I'm looking at making hash or edibles with this. So what should I do? Seated and largely perplexed in the suburbs, what would you say here to Ira? Yeah, so um, a number of things could have happened here with Ira's crop. Uh, he's growing outside, so you know, you're at the mercy of the elements. Uh, there could be male pollen just flying through the air. Uh, like I mentioned to the last uh, uh, listener, there's, you know, lots of ditchweed out there. There's lots of people who put out grows and don't necessarily know how to sex their plants. Um, so they have males uh, that are fully pollinating. Uh, and, and pollen can travel for miles in the air. So this could be from, uh, you know, the next town over, to be honest. If the buds are really infested with seeds, I would say that uh, there might be an issue with hermaphrodism. Uh like, as you mentioned, if there was light leaks or stress, but you would be able to see little yellow sort of bananas, uh, male, uh, male flowers sticking out of the females somewhere. So if you're looking at your buds and you see uh, little like yellow bananas sticking out, that could be the quote unquote males that pollinated your crop uh, if it hermaphrodited. What happens is you mentioned the hay smell and, and how... Um, you know, the scent isn't there. When the plant starts making seeds, all of the energy goes into making seeds. So all of the things that it, it once did, you know, when it, before it was pollinated, it wanted to just create bigger flowers and sticky resinous flowers that would attract uh, pollen to them. Uh, but once that pollen reaches them, uh, they start to change the process. And that's the process of, of, of filling out with seeds and it sounds like a lot of pollen reached these plants so i'm thinking either somebody close to you uh grew out males and they pollinated your plants or your plants were stressed and uh self-pollinated which can happen um as far as what to do with your harvest uh i think making hash or edibles is your best bet i mean people have smoked seeded cannabis for many many years i grew up smoking you know seeded mexican you can pick out the seeds and still get a smokable product. Um, so I wouldn't say you have to trash everything, but I would say, you know, pick out as many seeds as you can. Uh, if you're going to be obviously consuming, uh, the flowers, if not, uh, I would consider making, uh, ice extracted hash, uh, or dry sift out of, you know, the, the flowers and the, uh, the leaves that you're left over with. And you can also make that into edibles as well. Um, all of those processes just sift out the seeds and use the remaining flour uh, for either the hash making or the edible making. And like I said, you'll still be able to get smokable flowers out of there. It's just going to have to be a process of taking those seeds out. So I hope that helps you out, Ira, and uh, good luck. All right, excellent. Uh, thank you, Ira. And yeah, man, I, I remember back in the day, growing up, somebody would fail to get all the seeds out, and you'd hit it, and the bean would explode in the bowl. You know. Yeah, you certainly don't want to like smoke pop. seeds, but you don't. Uh, 
Yeah. Like I said, you're at the mercy of the environment when you're growing outside and and there's pollen flying around everywhere. Now you got hemp farmers growing males and females side by side uh, throughout the world. And that's going to be an issue, I think, with outdoor growing and even some indoor grows uh, where the pollen just gets there, gets in there and, and, and uh, there's going to have to be mitigating factors to keep male pollen away from female plants when they're flowering. You never accidentally uh, smoked a seed back before you were Danny Denko? Oh, I've, the man. I've definitely smoked plenty of seeds of back in the day. And even once in a while, you know, you just get that occasional, you know, little sneak attack. Little sneak attack. <laughs> it, it can be uh, not a great not experience. Not altogether pleasant, yeah. No. Thank you, Ira. Thank you to everybody who wrote in. Um, if you have a question that you would like answered on this show, get in touch with us. The email is info at growbudyourself.com. We're actually going to take another question over on Patreon about CO2 in a grow. So if you're interested in that, join us over on Patreon for a Q&A bonus question. But that's going to do it for uh, the cultivation segment of episode 76. Why don't we take a little break? Come back and then wrap this one up. Let's do it. All right, welcome back. And this is the wrap for episode number 76. I uh, want to thank everyone who is on the show. Christina Bucola, uh, Jesus Barola. I uh, want to thank the sponsors, Excelsior Extracts, Sweet Leaf Nutrients, Rocket Seeds, an organic rev growth stimulant. Please check them out. Please tell them we sent you. And uh, yeah, I want to thank you guys for listening, the Patreon supporters, uh, the YouTube subscribers. Uh, we're growing on Patreon. We'd love to see all you guys on there, even if it's just for the $4.50 a month. Uh, that's the cost. That's less than a cold brew uh, at you know Dunkin' or, or Starbucks especially. <laughs> And it's a community that you can join that, you know, we, uh, it's got added value there. We, we put, uh, stuff on there that people don't get from the show and you also get a bunch of free stuff like stickers and a letter and all kinds of, uh, free newts from sweet leaf. And, uh, you know, we'd love it if you support us on there. So please check out patreon.com slash Danny Danko. Um, thanks to you, Mike, for working hard, stitching all this stuff together and making it all happen um and yeah man 76 uh great episode appreciate you guys sticking around for it and listening as always uh let's put this one in the books